Welcome to the Covenant Experience Podcast. At Covenant, we are growing passionate followers of Jesus Christ who serve all people. If you live in the tri-state area, we welcome you to join us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. You can find more information about us online at covenantexperience.com or call us at 304-876-2212 with any questions. And now, today's message. Well, how are we doing, Covenant family? Good to see you. How are you guys doing? Let us know in the thread. Give us a thumbs up. Let us know how things are going. Uh, Publicly, you can tell us how we can be praying for you, or privately, as uh, our pastors have already said, prayer at covenant-mail.com or connect to covenant.com. We want to welcome the whole family today, whether you're coming through that camera or whether you're one of these beautiful faces that I get to look at today. I missed you last week. Thanks uh, so much for the time away. Um, Pastor Joe Richardson did a phenomenal job bringing God's Word. We watched that from an East Tennessee cabin. How about you guys? Yeah, he did a wonderful job. Makes me ever more confident that we made the right decision several months ago. It was a tough one. I mean, he doesn't bathe regularly, but he can preach pretty good. So um, it's great to see you all here. We're going to be in Psalm 42 this morning. Before I get into the message, I I just feel compelled to, to share some things with you regarding the times in which we find ourselves, some of the interaction that I've had with, with so many of you, both before I left on vacation and my inbox uh, was quite full, actually, of, of messages after returning around many of the protests and the violence that we've been witnessing around the country, encouraging me, nothing disrespectful, I appreciated every single message, and I, I want you to know I heard you, whether you're there or here. Um, and encouraging me and and challenging me, Pastor, don't let this moment pass. Let me tell you where we're at as a church. It's really where we've always been, okay? This is not something that we need to react to instantaneously because, frankly, we've been talking about it. We've been providing forums for dealing with it for a number of years now, forums regarding racial reconciliation and social justice, I did a series on justice. You can go back here either on the Facebook or the YouTube feed or uh, even on the podcast if you subscribe to that. And We talked about some of these very issues just last fall. I'm not done talking about it, but you may wonder if you're one of those folks, why, Pastor, why haven't you just kind of dealt with this in a sermon? Why are we not scrambling to put together some kind of forum? Well, Let me just be honest with you and speak from my heart for a minute. It's because I've seen this movie before, okay? I I know how this works, all right? There's someone who has authority who abuses it. It's responded to with lawlessness and violence. Then there's a bunch of sermons and a bunch of forums and a bunch of pat answers. And then we go right around and merry-go-round again, all right? And and there there are two groups of people the African-American community on the one hand, the law enforcement community on the other, both of whom are my brothers and sisters in this body. And the conversation that the world has seems to suggest to me that if I'm going to say we need some pretty serious reform in our justice system, that that means I have to see law enforcement as the enemy or If I do anything in favor of law enforcement, I must be a racist. Don't ask me to choose between members of my blood-bought family. I ain't going to do it. I ain't going to do it. 
Are there issues? There absolutely are. Are there some hard conversations to have? Yes, they are. There are. And we're going to have them. We're going to have them. But the church won't solve this by jumping on the same merry-go-round everybody else is on. One sermon about racial reconciliation is not going to fix this. Believe me, I've tried that one. It doesn't work. All right, a, f- a public forum isn't going. I'm not even saying we're not doing those things down the road. I'm just simply saying we need some action. We need to work together, and we need to take some time. And so what I'm doing right now is a lot of listening to those two communities I mentioned in particular because they're hurting right now. Both of them are. And there's something that that God has given the church, not just guys like me, all of you. Collectively, he's given us something called the prophetic voice. That's a voice that doesn't ignore the realities going on in our world, but it rises above them with a voice that is, when it is heard, undeniably the voice of God. And it doesn't parrot talking points from the left or to the right. In fact, I've discovered that the prophetic voice of God tends to tick off political idolatry on all sides. So I'm going to make sure before I tick all of you off that I'm actually speaking with that voice and not just my own. And so pray for patience on my part and pray for me as I pray for you. This is not going to go away. And if something isn't done, we're going to see it again just like we saw it before this time, before Minneapolis, and just like we saw it before Baltimore, and just like we saw it before New York City, just like we saw it every other time, it's going to, unless we speak with the voice of God and obey that voice. Now, what does that mean? I don't know yet. I confess that to you. I'm still seeking the word of the Lord. For those of you whom the Holy Spirit has gifted with words of wisdom or knowledge, I will ask you specifically to to just pray deeply and feel free to speak to your pastor what you think God may be saying to us at this moment, but do not interpret a lack of flurry or change up of what gets said from this pulpit as, as disinterest or the fact that any of this has been lost on me, because it has not. And just in case, there's a small contingency of people who go, well, we shouldn't be talking about that in the church anyway. Well, you're not really looking for a church. You're looking for a country club. Crest Creek's right up the road. And it's a pretty nice place, as I understand. The Lord Jesus can speak to any blessed thing he wants to. And he will most assuredly speak when people created in his image and likeness are the victims of the kind of things that we have seen. And I'm talking about both communities right now. So let's pray together as we move ahead on these things. No, this is not the last you've heard from your pastor. But I wanted to speak specifically to those of you who've been so kind, so respectful, and obviously so passionate and said, Pastor, I've got dozens of these things before and after. I'm with you. I get it. I understand it. Pray for me. Let's pray for each other. Let's seek the voice of God in this. And let's move forward as he would have us to move forward. I want you to join me in Psalm 42 right now. We're in the middle of a series that we started just two weeks ago called Dealing with Feelings because I would imagine people's emotions uh, are even in a normal period prone to get out of whack and that's going to be even more likely when we're in uh, a time like we're in. Everything that I've just mentioned, the global pandemic in the background on top of that. 
So we're going to talk today about the issue of depression. Now, every one of us gets discouraged from time to time, right? There's none of us that hasn't had a bad hair day. I'm guessing dudes don't mention that or admit it as much as the ladies do. In fact, I heard one comedian say that women often will say, I hate my hair. You'll never hear a man say that as long as he has it. We're just glad that it's there. We don't want to say anything ugly about it that might make it get up and leave, right? Um, but we all have just days where something isn't working right. It might be something as innocuous as that. It, it may be a, a bad day at work. It may be a bad week at work. It may be just a bad day in general. All of us have bad days. All of us have times that get us down. I got four words for you if that's the only thing you're dealing with. Suck it up, buttercup. Amen? Because we're all going to have to deal with that. There's no sense in all of us ending up in the fetal position just because you have a bad day. What I'm talking about this morning is a lot bigger than that. It's something that a lot of us as well deal with. It's when that day turns into weeks or months, sometimes even years. When we talk about depression, we're talking about from the medical and the emotional standpoint, something that's become a national epidemic. Mental health professionals call depression the common cold of mental illness. Did you know that? That's how widespread it is in this particular discipline. And in the past century, the rate of depression, at least the measurable rate of it, what we know about it, it's actually doubled for every successive generation. That's about every 25 to 30 years. One in seven Americans is going to seek help professionally in their lifetime. Women, um, just incidentally, are three times more likely to seek help as men. Now, you may initially go, well, that may, are women more jacked up than men? No, women are smarter than men. Uh, they recognize, kind of like stopping and asking for directions, that they have an issue and they go get help before the guys do. At least that's typically been my experience as a pastor. Now, right from the start, let me go ahead and say, if you need that help, get it. Get it. Somehow there's a stigma that's developed around this issue, and it's more, it's not just in the church, but it's more acute within the body of Christ, as if when I choose to see a therapist or a counselor, I'm admitting that I'm crazy. I might be, but that's, that wouldn't be the reason for it, okay? All right, you just, whoa, you signed it, you must be one step from the loony bin. It's that stigma that's actually kept most of us from getting what we need and the result sometimes is deadly. Depression accounts for 35% of all suicides. And even before this pandemic, 20% of the population was defined and identified as suffering from depression. Mental health professionals define it in this way. Depression is a feeling of helplessness and hopelessness, those two together, that leads to intense, inescapable sadness. Let's break that down. All right, I'm intensely sad. I'm not just having a bad day. I'm not just down. I'm intense. I can't get out of it. I can't shut it off. And the reason is because, number one, I feel hopeless. I don't see any light at the end of the tunnel. I don't see any purpose. I don't see what I need to see to get me out of it. And helplessness. I have this feeling that there's nothing I can do that will ever change any of that. You take all of that together, you put it in a blender. Depression is what pours out of it. That's depression. And if it's left unchecked, it can get deeper, and it can get darker. The normal route begins like this, and I'm just repeating for you the pattern that mental health professionals will describe for you. It starts with that listless, passive feeling that I just talked about. 
to perpetual sadness, then to an attitude that nothing really seems to matter. It's that third level that people on the outside start to notice, that there's something wrong with you, all right? You don't desire, for example, sexual activity with your spouse anymore, and he or she notices that. You don't desire to go to work anymore. You lose your passion for a lot of different things, and people on the outside begin to notice that you don't think anything ever seems to matter. Helplessness and hopelessness then follow right along with that if you continue along that trajectory. I'm stuck here and there's no way out of this. That then leads to a belief that's rather caustic towards other people, turns outside. Nobody else understands, all right? Nobody else cares. That leads to a feeling of rejection, whether people have actually rejected you or not. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they do. That then leads to an attitude of, you know, it'd be better off for everybody, including me, if I just wasn't here anymore. That leads to a desire for death itself. Now, my guess is, as I describe that trajectory, I've probably hit a lot of people who said, yep, that's where I'm at right now. That's where I'm at. Some of you, it's incidental. Like, you were doing okay before March. And with everything that surrounded you, you're like, okay, ever since all this has happened, like, yeah, that's, yeah, that's exactly where I am. And in all probability, you've done nothing to address it. And maybe that's because there's a fear that others are going to think less of you or that they're going to think you're weak or that they're going to think that, that you're unspiritual. There's a dangerous actual movement within the church. It's a subset of the prosperity gospel that identifies depression as exclusively a spiritual problem. So if you're depressed, it must be because there's some sin in your life or you're not walking close to Jesus. Or if you were really walking with God the right way, you wouldn't feel this way. People who speak that way speak with the very forked tongue of Satan. Mental illness needs to be treated just like any other illness, just like we would never judge someone for going to the hospital for a heart condition or never say that someone is unspiritual because they develop a kidney stone. We need to drop the hammer on the judgmentalism that had for way too long been meted out around the subject of mental illness or depression. So if you fear being judged or marginalized in some way, my hope is you'll be encouraged today, not only by me, but, but even more so by the 42nd Psalm, because it's written by David. David, the man after God's own heart. David, the, the great king, the greatest king in all of ancient Israel during the period of their united governance. David, who was by design, providential design in history, that great forerunning ancestor of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. You could call David many things, but as you look at the whole course of his life, certainly he was not perfect, but one thing you cannot call him is unspiritual. And David suffered from depression. Why, he says in verse 5, are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? There's not anybody who's ever suffered from depression that has not at one point or another asked that question. But here's the great news about David. He found the answer. He found the answer. Now, some of you, that answer is going to come in a miracle. In fact, I'm praying for that. I'm praying that you, after maybe even years of struggling with this, God just miraculously releases you and set you for, sets you free. He is able to do that. I have seen him do it. I know he can do it. Some of you, for reasons only known to God, he may not choose to release you from this, and you may struggle with it until you meet Jesus. 
But even in your case, and regardless, the Lord gives us the ability to fight this. The issue is not how you feel, how I feel. The issue is whether we are willing to fight this. Get the help you need. And we've got all kinds. We've got a growing list, actually, of mental health professionals that are part of our church family, outside professionals that I've referred people to when I get to my limit and being able to counsel you. And trust me, after 17 minutes with me, I've told you everything I know. Right? And we get you out to, to somewhere else or to somebody else. Get that help if you need it. But you also need to understand this does have a spiritual element to it. And where your depression intersects with your relationship to God, there's three ways to fight it in the following order, starting with this. You need to face the truth that this is actually what's going on with you. Don't deny it. Don't deny it. Look at verse 5. Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Verse 5 again, my soul is cast down within me. Verse 6, why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? You think he's trying to get at something here? The parallelism isn't just there for the poetic beauty. There's an emphasis. He's admitting there's a problem over and over and over. He's telling himself this is what's going on, and he's being honest and saying this is where I'm at. This is our biggest issue sometimes. We don't want to admit this to ourselves or to others out of fear that you're going to be seen as less than normal, atypical, crazy. Listen, I'd love to be able to tell you, you're not crazy, but I can't really do that. Here's what I can tell you. We're all crazy. That's what I can tell you. That's what I can tell you. Uh, just take a look. Google DSM-5, right? It's called the Diagnostic Statistical Manual. Our healthcare professionals here, will, uh, particularly mental health, will, will tell you that's basically their Bible when they're dealing with a patient and they're trying to examine experiences and feelings and, and symptoms, and they're, they're holding that up against what's called the DSM-5. And if you read that thing long enough, you're going to see your picture in there. There's something wrong with all of us. Scripture calls it sin, not necessarily that I did something and now God's punishing me by giving me this feeling or this, or this, this, this handicap, but this in curse, the result of it is that I'm just not perfect. There are going to be things I'm going to have to deal with. This is not an unusual situation. In fact, some of the greatest leaders who ever lived suffered from depression. Take a look at this quote from Abraham Lincoln. You may have heard of this guy. If what I feel like were distributed to the whole human family, there would not be a cheerful face on earth. To remain as I am is impossible. I must die or I must get better. Anybody know the name Winston Churchill? Prime Minister of Great Britain, basically won World, World War II for the British, sent back the Nazis from across the English Channel. The man who's famously quoted as saying to his troops, never give up, never, never give up. At some point when he wasn't in front of people, he wrote the following, depression is like a black dog that follows me every day. There was a preacher also in Great Britain in the 19th century. His name was Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Some of the nicknames he's given are the Prince of Preachers, the last of the Puritan preachers, phenomenal proclaimer. The gospel of Jesus Christ went out to, to hundreds of thousands of people. Thousands of people came to faith in Christ. He was also known for a really cheery wit. He really had a great sense of humor. You read that even in, in like his lectures to my students. But underneath, Spurgeon suffered from depression his entire life. 
His dear wife Susanna wrote the following, My beloved's anguish was so deep and violent that reason seemed to totter on her throne, and we sometimes feared he would never preach again. Spurgeon, is something wrong with me? No more than what was wrong with them. Is something wrong with me? No more probably than what's wrong with, with many of us. When these things come into our lives, we have to admit it. Listen, depression is not a sin. I, I get a sense some people just need to hear that clearly because you've been told otherwise and you've been lied to. Depression is not a sin. It's not a sign you're a bad person. It's not a sign that you're ungodly. Now, there can be sin if you react to it by denial. Scripture actually refers to that sort of thing as suppressing the truth. It's unrighteousness that doesn't want to admit the truth. When you seek to deny the obvious, because again, if you leave this unchecked, it can turn into despair. So the first step in fighting depression is, let me just face this. Be honest with yourself the same way David was here. He's not just talking to himself here. He's in the presence of God. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you. Oh God, my soul thirsts for God. How can he have this conversation without being in his father's lap? Listen, if you're suffering from depression, the first step in fighting this feeling is to crawl up into your heavenly father's lap and tell him what he already knows about you. Face the truth. And once that happens, you can do the second thing, which is discover the root. See if you can figure out what caused this. This is where professional counseling, therapy can be very helpful sometimes from an appropriate professional. Sometimes you don't need anything quite that intense. Maybe you just need to talk with one of us, a pastor, a deacon, who can just hear from you, pray with you. Sometimes just getting it out to somebody who goes on the, on the outside, they're going, and on the inside, they're going, I don't know how to help this person, but but. They did help you, didn't they? Because they just let you talk. They, they just let you talk. Sometimes it's Celebrate Recovery, getting ready to start back up here pretty soon. They talk about hurts, hang-ups, and habits. You know why they talk about that? Because they got them. They got them. And, you know, nobody can help you get out of the woods any better than somebody who's been lost there before and found the way out. So sometimes maybe you just need to talk with someone like that. But part of that that process is discovering where this comes from. That's what we at least in part see David doing. He's ferreting out some of the root causes. Look at verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? He's identified an issue here. In, in David's place, he, his depression has got him to a point he can't sleep. You know what a lack of sleep will do? It'll depress you. You know what that depression will then do? It will cause you to get less sleep. It, it, it'll become literally a crazy cycle. When you're depressed, maybe it's because you can't get to sleep. That lack of sleep exacerbates the problem. Are you a workaholic? Do you, do you get enough exercise? Do you eat on the run? If most of your diet comes through a drive through window, that might not be all of your problem, but might be some of it, we evangelicals are great about alcohol and drugs, not, not so good about Big Macs, right? 
Just think through that. You say, are you anti-beer? No, I'm not, I'm not anti-beer. I don't think it's a sin to drink alcohol. So I don't think it's a sin to have a Big Mac. I think it's a sin to have four of them in a week. That might be a problem. Okay? So just something to think about here. And, and by the way, I'm one of those guys who's been in the woods and found my way out. About 20 years ago, I was at that point, a little less than 20 years ago, I was into my, just barely into my 30s. My wife will tell you I was starting to get grumpy. Like grumpier than usual, grumpy. Like, and and, and uh, I was tired all the time. I, w- I wouldn't get to bed until 1 or 2 a.m. I probably couldn't get to sleep until around 3. I'd get up at 6, 7, 8. No matter, even if I got up at 9 or 10, I still felt just exhausted all the time. I was getting to the point where I felt hopeless, helpless, and I was starting a church. Like I was a pastor. So I went to a therapist. A couple of sessions she said, I think you need to go to your doctor. You know what I said? No, I don't. She goes, we could sit here and do this back and forth. I mean, she's like, I get paid the same regardless. I mean, it's up to you. But, but I think for your case, Joel, you need to go. I went to see my doctor. You know what he told me? He said, Joel, there's no magic pill for this. No magic pill. Your lifestyle is the same as it was in college, except you're not in college anymore. You're 30 years old now, okay? So get rest, get some exercise, stop eating food that has a longer shelf life than baking soda. Stop doing that. Sometimes a mental problem is rooted in a physical problem, isn't it? I remember around a decade ago, I was doing an interim pastorate at a church in Baltimore. One of the deacons came to me, and he was embarrassed because he was in a role of leadership, and he just, but he was at this point. I'm like, dude, it doesn't matter what your title is. We're all broken. We, come on in here. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about how to get you help. He was depressed. He had ticked off his wife. They were talking divorce. There was all this stuff going on in his home. And in the middle of it, toward the end, he goes, there's a 38 caliber revolver, Pastor, in my home. And I, I can't tell you the number of times I've just thought about taking it, pointing it in my head, and pulling the trigger. He said, that's where I'm at. He said, I, I think it's demonic oppression. And I believe in demonic oppression. I said, well, it could be. But let's do a couple of things first just to do some elimination. First off, where's that gun? And is that the only firearm in your house? And he said, yeah, it's, that's the only one we got for protection. I said, okay. Well, Sounds like you need to protect yourself at this moment. Look, personally, I'm a big Second Amendment guy. This isn't political, but if we're going to continue this conversation, you need to bring me that gun. I, I, we got law enforcement here. I will give it to them. You can get it back when all this is over. Some of you West Virginians might need to hear that. Then he had said something in the middle of his, his, uh, his story to me that, that caught my attention. He said, my wife and I are, I said, well, tell me about that relationship. He's like, well, we, we haven't been together physically in like six months. We sleep in separate bedrooms. It was the separate bedrooms thing that caught my attention. I said, tell me about that. I said, is, is one of the major reasons y'all are sleeping in separate bedrooms because you keep her up because like you snore? He goes, oh, yeah, yeah. She says, I sound like a chainsaw. And then it hit me because not too many years earlier, I had been diagnosed with obstructive sleep apnea. It's a medical condition. Playing high school football, I got my nose broken. I know you all think I'm just ugly, but part of it is I got my nose broken. It's a little crooked. I got this thing called a deviated septum, and it causes me to snore, and it was starting to keep Mrs. Rainey up at night, and she loves me, but not that much, okay? And so 
I had to get treatment for that for me and for her. Amen. People who have spouses who snore said amen, right? I said, I don't know if this is your problem. I'm not a medical doctor, but my guess is you should see your GP. That person should probably send you to a pulmonary specialist. I'm just, I, I just, let's start with that. Three months later, he was a different man. Sometimes it can be demonic oppression. Sometimes you just need somebody to talk with you through it and discover what the roots are. And sometimes that root is physical and medical. Other times it's emotional. When David uses this word soul, he's referring to the seat of our emotions. Okay? The Greeks use the word psyche uh, to describe this. It's where we get our word psychology, psychiatrists from. It just, it's UK, it just means the soul. All right, the center of your being as a human being. We use a different euphemism today. We don't typically talk about the soul so much as we do the heart, right? You broke my heart, put your heart into it. What are we saying? We're not, we're not speaking literally, right? We're speaking euphemistically. We're saying, you know, put your emotions, let, focus them, engage them, and train your psyche so your whole being is, is committed to this. But sometimes that psyche gets messed up, doesn't it? And it can happen with circumstances, it can happen for, for any number of reasons, and then it starts to affect other people around you. You know that old saying, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy? That's true for daddy, too. That's true for kids as well. Depression can be contagious, and, and there's four sources of it, according to psychologists. There's something called endogenous, which means it's just a mood disorder caused by some kind of chemical imbalance in the brain. There's reactive, which means there's a trauma that's happened. Well, in the last three months, all of us have been pretty much hit with various levels of that, haven't we? You may not have been physically assaulted, but this, this pandemic, man, it's done a number on us, hasn't it? Number three is toxic. There's viral illness, lack of serotonin in the body. And then number four, psychotic, which is linked to a nervous breakdown or brain disease. Now, the first two of those, you'll be happy to know, account for the vast majority of cases, which means you can do something about it. You might still need professional help, but there's also some things you can do to help yourself. So ferret out the cause. That's what he's doing. That's what we should do. There's a story about a guy who went to a psychologist. He said he was depressed to the point of suicide. And the psychologist said, well, tell me about your life. Are you, are you in poverty? Are there things going on? Are you, are you having a tough time? He goes, well, actually, no, the last several weeks, I've been having the time of my life. I live in a million-dollar home. I drive a $150,000 Mercedes. I just got back from two weeks of vacation in Hawaii. And his therapist said, how in the world could you be depressed after that? And he said, well, it probably has something to do with the fact that I only make $100 a week. Sometimes it's something self-imposed that we're not even aware of. Ferret the root out after you have faced the truth. And then finally, fight the feeling. I've said this before. It's not a sin to be depressed. It's not a sin to live with depression. But the Lord Jesus expects you to fight it. He expects us to fight it. Don't pull the shades down over your life and lock yourself off from everybody else. Let's look at, at three steps David took here. The first is he lied down. Verse 6, therefore I will remember you from the land of Jordan and from Hermon. Yeah, what's he saying? I, I, I'm going to take a break and I'm going to remember you. You've got to take some time. You have to focus on the Lord. The word for this is meditation. And for those of you who came out of fundamentalist backgrounds, no, that's not an evil thing that's always based in some kind of Eastern philosophy. It's a Christian thing. 
Those whose shoulders we stand on in the history of the church have practiced it. It has been good for their mental well-being. It is good for yours, provided it is Christian and anchored in the text of Scripture. Martin Luther, during one of the busiest times in his life, said the following, I have so much to do today, I simply must go to bed. Now, don't stay in bed. Don't stay there. But you might be amazed at what a restored rest cycle will do for you. Take some time. A couple weeks ago, we were getting ready to leave for a family vacation in the middle of a pandemic and racial tension that had once again reared its ugly head in this country. And I'm a pastor. And I thought to myself, should I really just bail in the middle of all this? You ever felt that? Like, I mean, should I really? Now, it's one thing to just check out and stay checked out. But this was a family vacation. We'd had it planned for a few weeks. We knew there was a pandemic. We're like, we got to get away. We got to be together as a family. We got to figure out a safe way to do it. Okay? And we did. But I thought, I don't, I'm not sure I'm doing the right thing. My first couple days, my wife will tell you, she would be just like, where are you? Like, she knew I'm right there physically. But she could, she could see, like mentally, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm not, I'm not thinking about East Tennessee, where we were. I'm not thinking about vacation. I'm, I'm thinking about did I do the wrong thing? Did I bail on the family that God has called me to shepherd? Now, there were three things that I failed to realize at that moment. Number one is neither the world nor this church needs Joel Rainey that badly. And some of you, yeah, that's a pride thing, right? And for some of you, that, that's going to be a big buster for you. But you're going to have to come to that conclusion. Number two, even Jesus was asleep in the middle of a storm when his disciples were doing keystone cops on the bow. The real Messiah never had a Messiah complex. You ever think about that? The real one, and you ain't him, and neither am I. And number three, I'm no good to anybody if I'm strung out, stressed out, hospitalized, or dead, and neither are you. Adrian Rogers, that famed Baptist preacher of a generation ago used to say, the preacher who is always available, when, he's, when the pastor is always available, his availability is not worth very much. That's true for you too. You might need to lie down. You might need to get away. And then after you've done that, launch out. Look at verse 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. What? How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. That, that doesn't sound very depressing, does it? You know what he did? He got out. And then he did two things. He served other people, and then he went to God's house and worshiped with God's people. I know some of you are immunocompromised, and that's not safe for you to do right now. God bless you for joining us this morning. But don't give up that moment that you've got right there on the other side of that camera. Same for those of you who are here right now. The worst mistake a child of God can make during depression is to stop gathering with his people because you tear yourself away from the one experience that is the source of release. Don't pull the shades down. Don't cocoon yourself off. Don't separate yourself from others. Martin Luther said, isolation is poison for the depressed person. For through this, the devil attempts to keep him in his prison and in his power. And the best thing to do when you get out is to focus on others. God bless this church for your giving spirit, 
for your serving spirit. We fed over almost 4,000 people over these last several weeks in the middle of this pandemic. Now that number's starting to drop a little bit because people are starting to go back to work. We can thank him for that. The economy, at least in some measure, has begun to come back, but there's still a lot of needs out there. You, some of you, you might just need to get out. Don a mask if you feel like it. Just, just go out and just, and just bless other people. There's nothing like it, let me tell you. Nothing like it in the world. Carl Menninger was a, a famed, renowned psychiatrist of, of a generation ago. He actually wrote a book that, that stunned the, the, the world of mental health. The, the title of it was Whatever Became of Sin, because he was a believer in Christ. But he was counseling a, a young man once who was deeply depressed, and this was his counsel to that young man. He said, here's what you need to do if you want to get rid of your depression. Lock the door behind you, go across the tr street, find someone in need, and do something to help them. Nothing will help you like focusing on other people. And then finally, look up. Look at verse 5. Hope in God. See, for many of us, and I've had this issue as well, we get depressed, and the issue is we keep looking in here for the answer. David says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation, and my God. Yeah, I, I've learned some. I've learned what David learned here. Truth is not determined by how I feel. God has not been tottered and or gotten, you know, he, he, God has not fallen off his throne because I feel bad. God is not out of control because I can't find a way to shut it off. The truth is still the truth, and God is still God. And if you feel hopeless, don't deny those feelings. Admit them to yourself, and we as a church body will be happy to meet you there. You're not going to be judged for that, but also know that those feelings are lying to you. It's not true. You know why I know that? Because if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the greatest hope in the world. The greatest hope in the world. Let me tell you what hopeless is. Let me tell you how Scripture defines hopelessness. Hopelessness is the separation that exists between humanity and the God that humanity sinned against. That is hopelessness. That's hopeless because our sin carries a penalty, and the Scripture tells us that penalty is death. It is the inflexible penalty for all sin. It doesn't matter what you've done. You've got it in your past. You have trampled the law of God under your feet. You have passively, if not actively, shaken your fist in God's face. The penalty for that is death, and it is forever. It's interesting, Dante's Divine Comedy, not the most biblically accurate play on the planet, but one thing that is absolutely accurate is when you're descending into his inferno, which is his depiction of hell, there's a sign over the door, and it says, Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. Well, that's true. There's no hope there. But the greatest hope we have is that Jesus Christ came into this world and lived in perfection as we could not, died as our substitute, bearing that death penalty that should have been yours and should have been mine. He rose from the dead. He has paid for your sin. He has defeated death. He has reconciled you to God, and he is coming again. There's no better medicine for how you're feeling than that. None. I'm not a licensed counselor. I, there's, again, there's a growing number of them here, and I thank God for them, and they can help you. There is no conflict. Hear me well. No conflict 
between getting professional help and trusting the Lord. You may need both, but that first one ain't going to help you without the second one. It won't. No intervention we could conceive of on this planet can substitute for the presence of God that David describes here. So if you're depressed at any level, anywhere along that trajectory, let me just encourage you this morning, live in that hope. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the honesty that we find in your word. We thank you, Father, that even though your, your, even your written word is not flat, it is not stoic, it contains the very struggles that we deal with every day. And it provides a way out for us. Mostly it provides a way through. We know that for some things, we're, we're just not going to be able to lay them down until we see you face to face. Others of us may be delivered miraculously. Lord, we praise you and we thank you. Blessed be the name of the Lord, regardless of whether you give or whether you take away. But Father, in this moment, I get a sense that many of your sons and daughters are dealing with depression of various sorts and kinds. And I ask you, Lord, to grant them the grace to fight it today. And Lord, may you be found faithful as you meet them in that battle. I pray these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen. God Hi, everybody. Pastor Joel here, and I am so glad you stopped by. I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God. And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions, and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already received from your local pastor and that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.